Well, good morning again. Let's, um, last week we started talking about um, a new life God has invited us to live or called us to live. Uh, a life made possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so we began to talk about that last week and we said that the, the Bible actually tells us that a union with Christ is transformative. Uh, that it changes us. That when we become unified with Christ, transformation is just inevitable. Similar to when you marry a spouse or you have a first child, it just changes you. You really don't have any options. And how much more so when we come in union with our God and our Creator. And so we started this journey and this path to discover, develop, and deploy this new life or, or this calling. And so today we're going to look uh, Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're just going to look at what he has to say uh, about this calling and what we can learn from it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 through 31. It says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So I'm just going to go th uh, through this kind of verse by verse and talk about what this is. Um, there's a lot here, theologically speaking. Uh, no way we could, you know, dive into every single piece of this, but we're going to pull out the basics of what uh, Paul is writing here. So in verse 26, he writes this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. And he's asking them to think back of the person they were, who they were, what they did before Christ came into their life. Think of who you were. And then he goes on this list and he says, uh, he talks about wise, influential, and noble birth. What he's doing here is he's listing the things that society values. Let me explain this, because uh, you, I think you know that the Bible wasn't written in English originally, it was written in Greek, and so it has to be translated, and in translation, the nuances of words sometimes aren't exact, and so what was Paul writing here? When he talks about wise, many of you were not wise by human standards. What he's talking about here is a formal education. He's talking about uh, like a degree from a prestigious school. Uh, the actual Greek word means learned with words. It's, he's not talking here about a, a wisdom that's gained through experience, right? We know there's wisdom that just comes from experience. What they're talking here is a, is a formal education, a degree that somebody went and applied and learned from a philosopher or a school. So think in terms of Yale or Harvard degree versus community college or no college, and we all, even, right, if somebody says, yeah, I graduated from Yale or I graduated from Harvard, we go, ooh, wow, that must be 
right? We, instantly, we, it communicates something to us as a society, like, wow, you got accepted and you graduated with a degree. That's impressive. Kind of sets them apart. So this is, this is what Paul is talking about, this, this kind of wise, formal, prestigious education. The next he says, not many were influential. Here we're, uh, I think this is um, self-evident, but he's talking about prominent, powerful, wealthy. Basically, influence you, you have because, um, because of what you possess. So, right, whether that be whether you possess a lot of money. We know that people who have a lot of money have influence. Whether you possess uh, a title, right, like uh, you were elected or appointed or something, you ha- or you went to a school and you have this title, um, it gives you this influence. Whether it's the possessions you own, uh, whether you own a lot of land or you own a lot of homes or you own a lot of whatever, uh, you can have influence because of what you own. Or it can be skill. You have this skill that just sets you apart above everybody else, and so it has earned you this influence. You have this influence because of that. So some examples. Um, think of actors or pro-athletes. Right? They have influence because of purely their position or their skill. Right? Um, or think of people who are ultra-wealthy. Uh, they have a, a measure of influence. Think of politicians. They're elected to a certain office, but they have influence over people, certainly just by their, by their title. Or highly successful people. People who have just super skilled or super lucky or whatever it is, but you look at them and you say, wow, they're very successful. And people uh, pattern themselves after. They, they have influence in what they say. So this is what he's saying by influential, prominent, powerful uh, people who have influence. Lastly, noble birth. The noble birth here is, um, as it relates to ancestry, we don't see it as much in, a, in America, but the rest of the world, and certainly the medieval and ancient world, valued bloodlines, um, where you have noble birth, who are your ancestors. Uh, even you, that's why you see in the Bible, uh, especially in Matthew, you see in um, uh, Chronicles, you see this, uh, so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so because it was very important who did Jesus come from. Oh, he came from the right bloodline. And so we see this even in society today, although for us it's more of uh, were you born into an upper class of people, a social class? Were you born into a privileged uh, race or group of people in, in your society? Basically, he, what Paul is talking about here is um, you're important because of who you're related to, right? Uh, you know, whether you're the sister of a king or, uh, you know, just you're this important person because of who you're related to. And if you think through these things, these are still things 2,000 years later that we still hold valuable as society, right? We, we value, you know, high levels of education and people um, who aren't stupid, Right? People who are smart, like, wow, they're, they're set above. They have influence. Or we value people who are just powerful because of what they have, whether they have a title or whether they have money or whether they have any of these things or because of somebody who, who they're related to. They just happen to be related to somebody, so we, they seem to have a value in our system. So this is what Paul is talking about. Not many of you, if you think back, 
And I don't know if in this room, too, like not many of us are fall into those categories, right? Maybe. Um, let's go to verse 27 and 28. He says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You notice he's going through these categories again. The wise, the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. What in the world is Paul saying here? A little bit feels like he's calling me shameful or foolish or despised, right? Um, He's not. He's contrasting here. He's contrasting the world's standards versus those who hold those standards and those who don't, and the contrast between the two. His thoughts here are similar to what we see in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Uh, You've heard these verses before. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is generally what uh, Paul is communicating here to the Corinthians. He's saying what, what God values and what God thinks is not the same as what society values. He's, God says, hey, I chose these, which is craziness to the, to, to the world. Here's what I want to, the point I want to make is God is not accountable to or subjected to us or our values. And when we're pursuing the life that God has called us to live or invited us to live, we have to keep this in mind, that God's ways are not the ways we grew up with. God's ways are not the ways of society around us. And not only are they not his ways, he's not accountable to us. And he's not subjected to us. He's God. And this is a point a lot of people get, get stuck on. They frame God in their own expectations. They say, oh, well, that seems like an arrogant God. God will need to do this if he wants me to believe in him. Well, I guess you'll never believe in him because God, God's not, God, God is not subjected to us. God doesn't have to come and explain himself to us. He doesn't have to come down and please us to get us to believe in him He's not a salesman. God is who God is. And we have to walk into this life saying, listen, God's ways, God's values are not the same as what I've been raised with or my understanding of the society I live in. God values things way different than than what I value. His ways are not my ways. He's not accountable to me. God doesn't have to explain himself to me. He doesn't have to, hey, God, you need to really uh, show me why you think this way because, you know, right? That's, and I'm, I'm mocking it a little bit, I know, but, I, but at some pace, a majority of us have felt that way, like, God, uh, I'm not, why are you doing this? Like, I don't know if you're worthy for me to believe in. And it's important for us to walk into this calling, this pursuing of this new life to understand that God is not accountable to me, nor is he subjected to my values. He doesn't have to work within what I think he should do and not do. 
God has his own economy. God has his own value system. God has his own processes. God has his own solutions. And these might seem completely foreign to us. You might, the little video, like, I didn't have a belly button. Mind blown. That should happen in your life as you're pursuing Christ on a regular basis. Like, why are you doing things that way, God? He has proved this over and over and over and over again uh, by using means and people that don't fit the world's value system. You want some examples? Uh, Gideon's army of 300, right? This vast army, God says, nope, too many men, nope, too many men, nope, too many men, 300 men. That's our magic number, let's go. What are you doing, God? How about Joshua marching around Jericho? Like, that's a... Can you imagine every other, like, general or battle commander? Like, so Joshua, what's your plan? We're going to march. You're going to march. Okay, you're going to build a siege ramp. You're going to have cannonballs. We're just marching. Like, I don't think the wisest men of the day would have advised him to do that. Jehoshaphat goes out against this huge army that has a reputation for devastating everybody in their path. And what does he do? He puts the singers on the front line. What? I'm going to pull that one. Hey, Pastor Sean, got this difficult thing. You're going to sing first, and then we're going to go into it. How about King David? You say, what do you mean King David? King David... Uh, was the least in his family. In, 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 a gen- in a time period where it was by order of birth and how important you were, he was the youngest. So he was, he was the least in his family, and his family was, was a member of the least tribe in the nation. So he refers to himself, I'm the least of the least. So I'm the least person in my family of the least tribe in Israel, and yet God chooses him to be king. The least of the least. God's value systems are not the same as ours. Let's bring this New Testament. Jesus was born in Nazareth. You say, okay, big deal. Well, look at um, Nathaniel's response in, Jan- in John chapter 1, 45 and 46. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about who the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Yeah. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Right? Like, the perception of what the mighty king and ruler is coming from Nazareth. Like, huh? What? Just foreign. Like, how is that even possible? And then Jesus uh, 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 puts together his team of disciples who are going to go and impact the world for him. And he picks the most ragtag, unprofessional, unskilled, uneducated group. Fishermen in there, tax collectors in there, the, the, the overlooked of society. And he says, these are, these are the guys we're going to change the world with. Again, lastly, is the cross of Christ. But we preach, this is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. God chose the most foolish, strangest, despised way to reconcile mankind back to himself. 
Just complete. I mean, the Greeks were like, this is great. That's foolish. What do you mean? It'd be similar if I came up and said, hey, God has chosen anybody who, who puts their feet in a bowl of cold spaghetti is going to get saved. You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? But God chose the foolish things of this world to save us. So this is God's, over and over, we can find example after example after example after example of God did not regard man's value systems when he chose to work. Because his ways are higher than our ways. They're different. So what does all this mean for you and for me? God's calling and invitation in our life is not based on our merits. It's not based on our worthiness. It's not based on our good deeds. That's true for salvation. That's also true for the life he has you to live. The work he has you to do. He doesn't invite you to a, to a life and speak into your life and give you a call and a work to do and he's specifically made for you because you're somehow worthy or somehow because you've done great things or because you're this powerful influencer in the world or because you have all this money in this land. And God's like, I, I, I didn't choose this life for you because of this. Nor did he choose you because you lack it. It's not because you have, it's not because you lack, it's not because you do or don't deserve it. God's ways are higher than his ways, our ways. The good news is that for those who have not met society's values, the poor, the broken, the weak, the oppressed, the untrained, the uneducated, right? This is great news because I can actually be a part of the kingdom of God. God can use me regardless of who I am, regardless of my past, regardless of my lack of resources, regardless, God can use me and give me a new life to live and a powerful work to do, and I can make a difference for the kingdom of God regardless of who I am or was by society's standards. You have a clean slate. God does not choose you based on what society thinks of you. That's great news. It's terrifying news for those who, who flourish in, in uh, our world's value system. For those who are strong, for those who are powerful, for those who are wealthy, for those who are self-righteous. This is terrifying news because guess what? God may not choose you. And his criteria isn't because you're those things. He might say, you know what? Um, I'm only giving you more humble things to do in this life. Right? And you can look through scripture and, and over and over again where he talks about teach the rich to be this. It's harder for a rich man to go through uh, uh, to heaven than, than a camel through the eye of a needle. Right? He constantly talks about this difficulty with those who are powerful, for those who are strong, for those who are influential, for those of noble birth, how difficult it is for them to truly live the calling because they're assuming that God's value systems are the same as the world, so therefore they, they somehow have achieved the place that God can use them now. Here's the, here's the meaning for this. 
when we come to Christ, we conform to his ways. He's not subject to us. He's not accountable to us. He doesn't base his choices on how he uses us or the life he calls us to live based on who we are or were by this world's value systems. So those who are the most uh, despised in this world, so to speak, God might elevate and use them in very, wow, powerful ways. And for those who are the most esteemed in this world, he might use them to do nothing, hold a door at the church. And guess what? God doesn't have to explain himself to us. We just say, yes, sir. I'll do whatever you ask. Which is hard for a powerful person to be humble like that, right? Let's move on to verse 29. Because you might ask yourself, why? Why? Why would God, why, why would God do this? Very quick verse. So that no one may boast before him. Well, what does that mean? Well, James chapter 1, verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, right? Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So everything that we have that's good has come from God. Whether that be the, the, what's between your ears and the fact that you can really churn and learn and understand and do things, whether, whether that's a gift set. I mean, we, if you've ever coached a, a, sports, a kid's sports team, um, you've seen that there are some kids who try really, really hard, and there are other kids who don't have to try as hard. They're just naturally good at something, right? Well, that's because they're, they're gifted a certain way. It's not for one worked harder than the other one. It's a natural gift. So that's a gift given by God, a musical ability, a, uh, any, any of those things, all the good stuff in our life that we use to, to help us flourish and help each other flourish is all given from God. And it's important for us to recognize this because, well, I think Gordon Fee, who's a theologian, put it this way. God chose the cross and insignificant ordinary people so that we can never stand in his presence with something in our hands. What is he saying here? What he's saying here is this. We can never come, we should never come to the place where we think or believe we deserve to be with Christ in heaven. Where we walk and we say, see God, I was good, wasn't I? Or, I worked hard for you, God. I deserve to be here. Right? We should never, uh, that's what he says, so nobody can boast in his, before him. That when we come before God, our heart and our mind and our belief and our understanding is, God, I, I, lived a, I lived a great life, but it was because of you. The gifts you gave, the, the influence you gave me, the, uh, every, anything that I have was because of you. This new life, is, it's, it's all you. And so, so now I'm giving God glory and that's where 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, the next two verses, 30 and 31, lead us. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So all of our 
awesome stuff. Like, hey, this is, I live this life. I have this power. I have this strength. I have this whatever. That's only because God gave it to me. And this humility to recognize this, and this, where he says, as it is written, this is actually a quote from Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. And he basically is saying the same thing way before Christ. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. Do you see the difference? Let's not celebrate and boast about how awesome all these worldly value systems are, are, but let's boast in the fact that I'm able to know God. That's where my my boasting should be. Um, So, to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in those I delight, declares the Lord. Let me wrap I want to wrap this up and, and bring this together for you this morning. On our path to becoming our calling, to live this life God has invited us to live, which, was, which is a, a people to become and a work to do. We'll talk about that later. But in that process, we will, we naturally assume that we will need what the world values. That we'll need a certain level of education, that will need certain resources, that will need certain prominence, will need certain abilities, will need certain things in our life. And it's important for us to understand that what we value as a society is not what God values. That we need to discover and embrace what God values. And what God values is amazing And it's life-changing, and it brings all the promises of God that we read in Scripture. But when we try to grab the promises of God without living God's values, it doesn't work. It's like trying to bake a cake without yeast, right? It's just, you got all the ingredients, but nothing's happening. And this reminder that God is not subject to us. We change and adopt his values. He doesn't change and adopt ours. We need to discover and embrace what God values. The other thing, that God will invite you to be and to do things that you feel disqualified for. I promise you. I promise you. He will invite you to be and to do things that you don't feel properly resourced to do or to be. If you have this thought in your head, well, I can't do that because of... That's the world's value systems. Well, I could never do that because I was a criminal. I could never do that because I have mental health issues. I could never do that because I was an addict. I could never do that because I was never properly educated. I could never do that because if you think in those terms, you're thinking through the eyes of the world's value system. God will invite you to do things that you don't feel 
qualified for or you don't feel properly uh, resourced for. And on the flip side, the things that you feel you got all together, God might uninvite you to do. God might say, yeah, you are the smartest guy in the building, but I want you to hold the door for visitors and just smile. I want you to be a Walmart greeter. Like, well, God, that's a terrible use of my skill set and my this. God says, I don't care. My ways aren't your ways. Right now, that's where I want you. Now, let me preface and say that it's not God's desire for, for us to just remain who we are and say, oh, well, God just wants to use the despised things of the world, so I'm going to just be as despised as I could possibly be. I'm going to be as uneducated or as lazy as possible because, man, I'll be ripe for God's using. God wants excellence from us. This isn't what he's talking about. When we come to God and God invites us to live a certain way and be a certain people and do certain work, we look at that sometimes as a daunting task. Like, I, I... Full transparency, for me, it was becoming a father. I, was, I grew up in a broken family. I didn't know my dad until after I was married and I had my own kids. Now, thank God, I, he, he might watch today. He watches often. God's rebuilding that relationship. But, but when my wife got pregnant, I'm like, God, I don't know how to be a dad. How am I going to be a dad? I never, I don't have a good example. You know, all these excuses in my head. I think I'm an okay dad now. But God used me to be a dad. Despite me. Despite my lack. Despite my, but he, he, he then took a guy who knew nothing and knew he knew nothing and grew me in that. So, that, we're not talking about if, you're, if God's using you and, and grew you into something that you should despise that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when the world says you can't do something because you don't have this. God's value system is not. God enjoys using people who appear to be lacking so that he is glorified. What do you mean by he is glorified? His name and reputation are known. Right? So, so if we get, if something turns out because I'm pretty good at that, you say, wow, Steve is so good at that. Um, Steve's the best zip actor out there. He's going to be well known on YouTube and going to have like 17,000 views next week at this time. And, you know, it's all about Steve. And guess what? Steve never saved anybody. The only way that people are prepared to live this life and to die is if they know Jesus. And the only way Jesus is known is if Jesus is glorified. Meaning, his name and reputation are known. So therefore, God enjoys using people who are of no reputation. Because they say, hey, pfft, I don't know why that many people are watching Zip on YouTube. It certainly isn't me. It must be God. And God is glorified. 
So God can be glorified. If you find yourself in a place where you're powerful, you're influential, you're any of these things, God can use you, but usually there's a humbling process involved to where you realize these strengths, these powers, these things that you have are given to you by God and you recognize that and then you use them as such. On the flip side, for those of us who are not influential, powerful, wealthy, these kinds of things, God has to tell us over and over and over and over again, he doesn't care. He wants to use you anyway. In fact, you are actually prime material. You're prime construction material for him to build his house. He isn't, because you already know that you're not all these things. Our job, our role, is to just say yes. Say, God, you're, you're I don't know how this, I don't know how it's going to happen, but sure, why not? You're calling me? I'll go. I'll do. I'll be. And I'll trust that you'll sort the rest out. I think for me, as we close out this morning, if you can pursue this life that God has for you and realize and really understand and believe that God is not accountable to humanity. He's not subjected to us. We don't have to follow, he doesn't have to follow our rules. He doesn't have to follow the things that are important to us. He's willing to sit quietly by and say, well, when, when you get frustrated with that, I'm here. It's very similar when, when if you're raising small children and you have a rule in the house and you're like, no, no cookies before dinner. And your child throws a temper tantrum and they say, you're the worst parent ever and they never want to be a part of this family again. And they just, temp- as a parent, you really go, oh, maybe I am the worst parent ever. Should I be giving my kid cookies before dinner? Maybe I should be. Maybe, maybe I... Right? Any of us would say, that's a terrible parent. No, you stick to your guns. You give them the cookies after dinner. It's God's the same way. Like, hey, I, I, I made the rules. I have a, my values are different than yours. And there's reasons for them. If we could walk away understanding that, that, that that's how God, and then as we reconcile our lives to that, you say, well, God, I'm the least of the least of these. And God says, eh, eh. And that's not what I say. I have a different reason why I'm using you. Just say yes. If you're the rich person that says, well, God, I have all this to offer you. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I, it's just, yes, your values are different than mine, Lord. Like, that, as we pursue this calling and this life to live, we must recognize that God has a different value system than ours. And we adopt God's value system. That's part of the the journey of saying, well, I'm going to begin to shed away my value system, the society's value system. I'm going to be able to adopt God's value system and live my life accordingly. That's the message that Paul is saying here. He's saying a lot of other things. Um, But we're going to leave that there for today. I'm going to close with the same prayer we prayed last week from 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 1, verse 11. I think it's so powerful because this is my prayer for us. Um, so I'm going to read this and then, and, and then pray for you. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Lord, we thank you today that you've opened our eyes to to begin to see that what you value and what our society values are not the same. And Lord, we would ask that you continue to lead us to believe, to adopt the things that are valuable to you, that we would see things the way you see things, that we would understand things the way you understand things, and that, Lord, we would begin to no longer value the things that our society values. Because, Lord, we know that if we follow your ways, it leads to life. It leads to life not only here on this earth, but it leads to life after death. And so, Lord, continue, we ask, to lead us in your ways. Help us to see these. Help us to understand. And, Lord, as this First Thessalonians Second uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 said, may you give us the power to follow your ways. It's so easy to go with the flow. It's so easy to adopt what the world thinks around us. But Lord, we know that your ways lead us to life. So give us the power and the strength to live a life worthy of the invitation you've given us. We praise you. We thank you for the effect and change you've already created in us. We look forward to to more in in the weeks and months, years to come. I pray, Lord, as we leave this place today that you'd protect your church. I pray, Lord, for those who are, are, are sick, who are recovering, whether it be from COVID or anything else. I pray, Lord, that your presence would be with them and heal them. I pray, Lord, that you'd protect us from, from any harm that could come to us physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. Lord, we love you and we bless you in your holy name. Amen. Amen, church.